Welcome to the We Are SC Podcast Monday Morning Cornerback. This is Eric McKinney joined by Daryl Rideau. Daryl, how are you doing today? Doing great. After another USC victory, um, things are trending up, heading back in the right direction. Let's start big, big, big picture. O- overall thoughts of the game and, and really your impression of this USC team now through three weeks. Everything sort of wrapped together. Okay, well, let, let's keep things into perspective, all right? For three weeks now, USC has faced three opponents that had it seen them later in the season, uh, perhaps the results might be different from, from both, both teams' vantage point. One being that with each week, USC is facing a team that is you, uh, where USC is its first opponent of the season, starting back, obviously, at the beginning of the season, with Arizona State. Arizona State, that was their first game out to shoot against USC. Um, Arizona, their first game gets canceled. Their first team that they're facing at home are the Trojans. And for the Utah Utes, their first two games of the season gets canceled due to uh, COVID protocols not being met. And so again, USC benefits from dealing with teams that quite frankly, coming out the gate, are playing with a lot of nerves and butterflies. And you can tell early on in the game that USC was the beneficiary of experience, having played through these scenarios and symptoms, or, you know, and, and really overcoming these, the, um, the, the, the nerves of dealing with this, uh, the new era of COVID-19 um, symptoms that impact the game. But with that being said, Eric, this is the team in the Utah Utes that it's been a rubber match. Each team over the last eight meetings have split the series, home and home, being the victors. So this, if you're looking at it just from an overall perspective, if there was ever a trap game, the Utah Utes present that for USC. A team that plays very physical, a team that understands who they are from an identity standpoint, and a team that won't, will not be bullied at the line of scrimmage. So you know that USC offensively and defensively, it was going to be a game that was going to be won in the trenches. And I was very impressed with how USC came out defensively and really implemented a strategy, a game plan that called for the defensive line to play out of their minds. And early on in the game, in great spurts, we saw nothing shy of brilliant play from the defensive line. They shot gaps. They hit their, their stunts. They commanded uh, the line of scrimmage. They beat their one-on-one battles, and they collapsed the pocket to the extent where they knocked out a quarterback, Jake Bentley, who – Cameron Rising got, Cameron got Rising, started. Yes. Right, right. Knocked him out, and, and then Jake Bentley comes in. Absolutely. Yeah. So w- when you think about this game in a vacuum – um, the, the, the two weeks leading up to this were great prep work for what I perceive to be USC's toughest battle in the first, within the first three games of the year, playing in a very, what would normally be a hostile environment minus the fans, but on the road, nonetheless, against an opponent that does not blink in the Utah Utes. And I thought that they handled the, the challenge and not only handled it, but for various pockets of this game controlled the tempo and dictated the narrative of how this game was going to go. 
You know, I'm with you on a lot of that. You talk, uh, you know, you look back last week at the Arizona game. Arizona is is not a good team. That was not a good game from from USC, and and I think that you can kind of come out and and say that this Utah team. Yes, they're dealing with they were dealing with a lot of COVID stuff, but. They, they had two quarterbacks in Cameron Rising who got the start and Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley was a starter as a true freshman at South Carolina and played a lot. Cameron Rising was a big-time recruit, went to Texas, didn't play there, ended up at Utah. These are not situations where, you know, it's it's Cal who gets their starting quarterback knocked out and, and you're playing a, a converted safety or something as, as your quarterback. Like this, this is Utah's team. They, they've got a ton of running backs. Yes. They're trying to figure out their offensive line, but you know, defensively they, they've got a lot of guys back, not a lot of uh, experience in the secondary, but you know, Clark Phillips is, is back there. He's a, a big time recruit, a, a guy that USC went after a guy that a lot of programs went after uh, he's playing as a true freshman and, and USC picks on him a little bit. This is a Utah team that I think is still a, a pretty good Utah team. It, it's not the Utah teams that we've seen over the last couple of years, but this USC team wasn't playing the Utah teams that we've seen over the last couple of years that they were playing this team. They go out there and, and they get a 16 point win at Utah. I, I think if you had told either of us before the season started, Hey, you're going to go, USC is going to go out. They're going to get a 16 point win at Utah in a game where Utah does not score in the second half. And that's going to move USC to three and zero on the season. I think you're saying, Oh, okay. That's that sounds great. <laughs> I'll take that. And where, where are you, I guess, in, if you had been told that at the beginning of the year, what your mind goes to of what this USC team maybe looks like. And then now, three weeks in what they do look like. How, how do those sort of visions compare, I guess, with, with your expectations compared to what you're seeing? I mean, on, on, on paper, when, when you look at this team and yes, they are three and zero, but the eyeball test does not tell you that this is a team playing like an undefeated team trending, you know, or at the, the peak of, of its performance ability. You, when you, you look at just the collection of talent, on this team and you think about what's returning or what has returned and in their record, you would say, yes, this is a team that not only uh, is three and O, but has a lot of star power that uh, as a consumer watching on TV, it's a, it's, it should be a fun team to watch. But then when you watch the game, it looks sloppy. It just doesn't come together. You know, um, there's a lot of chunk yardage where if you isolate them in a vacuum, it's just not really consistent as to how they're going about doing their business. And I'm talking about offensively. This is a team that should be just firing on all cylinders. It's, you know, having the Pac-10, or Pac-12 rather, um, returning offensive, you know, freshman offensive player of the year and Keaton Slovis at the helm of an offense with the tremendous amount of firepower and the emergence of, of a tight end in, in, in Drake London that, gives you all the hope and promise that this is the team that is going to be very difficult to match up with a collection of running backs that that can take over a game or dominate a game when given the amount of reps that it would require but when you look at them in the way that they played the sequence of plays it just doesn't feel like this team has it all together quite yet 
And there's a lot of questions still about Keaton Slovis and whether it's a health issue or whether it's, you know, fundamentals, uh, whatever the case, too many balls are coming out of his hands with very little command on accuracy. So again, not to be negative about it because they are three and zero, but there is a reason why they're only 19th in the country at three and zero versus moving up the charts, which is where they should be if they play, you know, in a convincing fashion that would give the voters and, 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 um, and those around, you know, college football, the impression that USC is a team that no one wants to contend with right now. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to say it's fool's gold. I think they've earned the, the three and zero start, but they certainly put themselves in positions where, you know, it took heroic efforts to get there. And when you think about what they did against the Utah Utes, um, they forced a lot of the action. Their defensive line, I go back to it. If they continue to play like that, they'll give themselves a chance to, to be mentioned at the end uh, as a Final Four team. Um, but you want to see that with more consistency. You'd like to see, you know, um, consistent efforts coming from the linebacker position. Um, but more importantly, they have all the elements. Defensively, they have the, the making, the nuclei uh, of being something special. And the good news is there's still a lot of football left ahead of them and the schedule favors them. There's no, there's no more travel, you know, um, the remaining portion of their four games are all well within the um, confines of LA County. Uh, the furthest that they have to travel, travel is to the Rose Bowl. Outside of that, they have three games at home in the Coliseum. So again, Eric, uh, everything trends up for the Trojans and uh, for another week, you're starting to see and catch a glimpse of how good this defense can be uh, when they put it all together uh, for a couple of weeks now, you know, you're seeing the secondary really contain the, uh, the passing game and with no virtual threat from Jake Bentley, he, he didn't pose a threat 16 for 28, 171 yards, one touchdown, but n not once, you know, feel like to kind of slight secondary it was scrambles much of it was just um him extending plays four rushes for 24 yards averaging six yards a carry um and yeah while that might have moved the chains a few times it was just really it was the efforts of usc's defensive line that i thought um from time to time whenever utah uh, appeared to have momentum they got pressure at the right time from uh nick figueroa from um from you know the 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 uh, the interior parts of the defensive line from Marlon uh, Tui Pelotu that I thought caused a lot of havoc and disruption and, and really prevented the Utah youth from getting into the rhythm that could have given USC a lot more fits. You know, I, I want to get in, let you get into the defense a little bit. I, I want to sort of put a bow a little bit maybe on on the offensive talk first, though. And this was something where during the week, uh, Clay Helton had said, you know, we expect Utah to do what Utah does defensively. But this was the first game this year where the opposing team was bringing back a defensive coordinator and, and really an entire defensive staff that saw USC last year, saw USC's air raid Graham Harrell offense last year. So this was the first year where a coach actually had experience going against it last year and then went against it this year. Utah 
does not rush three, drop eight in a zone. That, that is not their, their defensive philosophy. They rush four or more, and they play a lot of man coverage, and that's what they do. And Clay Elton said, you know, we expect them to do what they do. There were times when they did that, but it felt like there were a whole lot more times where they did rush three or, or maybe they'd rush four, but they had seven, eight guys and, and played a lot of zone. And it still feels like this USC offense gets surprised by that, or at least doesn't have a quick go-to of let's get them out of that. Here, here's how we attack that. And, and here's how we do that. What are you seeing so far from opposing defenses in how they sort of attack this offense? Or, I mean, I guess it's not even attacking. It's, it's how they sort of catch this offense. And, and, you know, like, like Graham Harrell says, get soft and drop deep and, and fade back into zones. What are you seeing there? And, and what, I guess, how much of an effect is that having on USC's offense? Again, it feels, it feels hollow, right? And it's 33 points against Utah. And again, you, you probably take that coming into the season, but you know, it's, it's, it's not the USC offense. I think that people expected to see when you looked at last year and you saw what was coming back this year. Well, when you think about the dimensions of a football field, a football field um, end zone to end zone is 120 yards from the goal post to the goal post. Okay. A hundred yards of field, 10 yards extra of end zone. Okay. And the width of the field is 53, 53 yards. Okay. So when you think about that, um, when the closer you get into the red zone about the red zone is classified as the 20 yards on in uh, in scoring. But let's just say, you know, 40 yards in. When you drop eight into coverage, the field becomes vastly smaller because now you take away speed. Speed is no longer a factor simply because you, you can't stretch the field as far as one would like because you're running out of real estate to score. So now it be, the pockets and the windows that quarterbacks are accustomed to throwing in, those windows are, are, um, are spaced out on the football field. There's landmarks on the football field for a reason. And teams exploit those landmarks. The, the little dashes up the middle of the field are hash marks. Those hash marks are symbiotic for defenders in terms of how deep they drop in the range and, and space that they're covering. When you start taking away these windows for quarterbacks that like to throw quick slants and outs, and you start covering up and shading them, now all of a sudden it requires a quarterback that isn't quite as sharp as he was last year to have to play perfect. And what you're betting on is by um, not or by forcing USC's offense to identify their hot routes, their quick. Um, their, their quick routes when, when the primary target is covered. To go down to a hot route um, and throw to uh, an option three or four down the line and really have to go through your progressions. This offense has not demonstrated the patience to be able to execute that on a weekend and week out basis. So it was the right game plan for Utah to, to drop eight into coverage, four linebackers taken away the, the short um, out routes, taking away the curls and taking away the middle of the field, the interior portion of the field and forcing those windows now, which would be about five or six yards in between defenders to become two to three yards in between defenders. And if you stretch your arms out, 
Now, all of a sudden, you're taking away those windows even greater. So when Keaton Slovis isn't as accurate as he is, and we saw this now for three weeks in a row, but more prevalent in this Utah game, teams will continue on second and third down to drop four in, or, um, of additional line, uh, an additional defender into coverage to take away those, those spaces. But you should also expect the edge rushers to be wider and to force Keaton Slovis into the pocket. Now, how do you combat against that? If the numbers are playing to your favor, there needs to be a check with me, a situation where you can audible at the last minute into a run play instead of declaring what you're going to do and, and sticking with it. So um, the, the frustration is USC made it very clear to the world that we only have a handful of plays and we window dress those very same plays. So we want our players to play fast, but you do have to expand your playbook. That's what, that is one of the critiques of the, the true air rate and why most teams got away from the traditional air rate and they've deviated to a hybrid, a combination of the air rate, maybe the um, throwing in some RPOs with it, run pass options. But with USC, because they are his, traditionally a power running team, it takes away the, the, uh, the finesse of the air rate takes away from controlling the line of scrimmage and dictating to Utah the, uh, the numbers. If the numbers say you're going to rush three, then we're going to punish you from having three up front with our five big nasties, our five offensive linemen controlling the line of scrimmage. We need to see more of that instead of these counter plays where you have your running backs running um, uh, parallel to the line of scrimmage and then, you know, and then coming off tackle. We need them running downhill fast. And also, Eric, the spacing looks clunky. When you have a running back right next to Keaton Slovis, the spacing is off. Perhaps the running back needs to be a yard behind or Keaton Slovis needs to move up a little bit um, when he's receiving the snap. So that way the spacing allows for the offensive line a chance to form their blocks. We're not seeing enough of that. And as a result, the offense just isn't firing the way that it needs to fire in order to be um, a playoff contending team. I mean, I, I didn't think there was any better example of kind of that than, than the first three plays, plays of the game. You, you come out and you, you, uh, you, you get the ball back, you, you send your offense out and Utah is dropping into coverage and you call three pass plays. And on the first one, Keaton Slovis can scramble for a little bit. The other two, he's got, tons of time and Utah's got all their guys dropped back and he can't find anybody. And, and when you talk about, you know, Oh, we, you know, we want to be a great running team and we know this is a physical game and you know, that kind of stuff. And you come out and, and you have that sort of opening. It just feels like, boy, those are a lot of words that, that didn't really mean or, or change anything for your offense. And, and again, you, you know, it wasn't the 13 yards rushing that you had against Utah last year, but still under 100 yards against a Utah team that, that was another team that was kind of saying, you know, try to run it against us. And you got, you know, sort of bursts and stuff, but it's another game like the Arizona game. Okay, you ran for 173, I think it was, but a huge, huge chunk of those is on two plays. Uh, this one against Utah. Yeah, you ran for 93 yards. 47 of them came on one run by Keenan Christen. So this is not a situation where, you know, it, I guess it is a situation where if you just look at that final yards per carry average, yes, it says one thing. But if you just pick a run play 
sort of at random throughout the game, more likely than not, it's not your 47 yard run. It's it's not your run that, that you had a ton of success with. So I think that is still something that USC is wrestling with in terms right. of saying what they want to be and, and mm-hmm. actually, you know, being what they say, but, but you brought up defensively and I want to let you get into that a little bit. Give, give us some thoughts about that defensive line. I, I know you, you got into it a little bit, but Marlon Tuipolodu has that massive play, the, the sack fumble that sets up USC's first touchdown and, and really kind of changes the game. It, it sends uh, Cameron Rising, Utah's quarterback, to the sideline and, and brings in Jake Bentley. And I don't know how much difference there is between those two guys, but certainly it's not ideal to, to lose your starting quarterback in the first half of the game. But so him, you, you mentioned Nick Figueroa as a guy that flashed. Marlon's little brother, Tuli, Tui Pelotu, you, you got to yes. almost stop referring to him as the little brother at this point because he's playing really well. Uh, Drake Jackson, the outside linebacker, but obviously he gets sort of lumped in there up with the, with the defensive linemen. What specifically, I guess, did you see from them? Maybe even if, if there was a play or two uh, that jumped out to you, but what were they doing that worked so well. Again, Utah ran for about 120 yards. So it's not like they were completely shut down, but Mm -hmm. like USC, I I think it was three runs they had of over 20 yards that accounted for a a huge majority. So for, for the most part, that Utah run was not churning out, you know, five, six yards of carry any, anytime they went to it. So what Utah did was they took wide gaps. Okay. uh, To create greater passing lanes for their, their, um, their, their quarterbacks. Uh, from Cameron Rising to Bentley when Bentley came in. And here's the deal. USC did a great job of beating their opponent at, at, the, um, at the snap of the ball. They shot the gaps, okay? Using quick bursts and speeds, they were in the backfield. And what that does is it collapses the offense. It collapses the, um, the natural pocket that an offense wants. And what we saw in this game was because there were so many bodies in the face of the quarterbacks, they didn't have clean pockets and windows to throw to. So they were throwing to areas, which gave USC an opportunity, the secondary, an opportunity to come down with, um, with, with interceptions like uh, Talanao Hufanga. The ball floated in the air. Quarterback never saw him coming. He was able to kind of read off of that and, uh, and come down with an interception. But more importantly, uh, again, you, you just talk about the maturation. This defense – over the years, it feels like a Clay Helton coached defense has had the numbers of teams that they play that are traditional power running teams like Stanford. Um, uh, sometimes you, you would say that they match up well with Notre Dame and uh, Utah. And it's because, again, they're predictable in how they're going to block those schemes. And that seems to play to the personnel of the Trojans. Um, when your defensive line is getting that kind of pressure, and now USC can drop seven in the coverage. It allows them to be exotic. It allows them to, to you know, kind of line up in the A-gaps and then drop back into coverage and, and take away those, um, those seam routes up the middle and those curls. What I saw from USC was maturity. Uh, the defensive line came in with the purpose and they, they executed their game plan. I thought that um, pressures in, in a game like this are equally as important as sacks. And sack obviously caused fumbles um, uh, is the cherry on the top. Uh, when, this, when this defensive line plays at that level, 
and you got a Nick Figueroa, like we talk about on the D line is 6'5", 265, 270, you know, Drake Jackson, but more importantly, you got a plug in the middle with Marlon Tuipolotu. You talked about his brother. Um, that rotation, those guys are starting to really play well together and feed off of each other's energy. Uh, I saw a couple of stunts. Um, uh, it's called a tex, a tackle and exchange, where they end in the tackle, they, uh, they cross. I saw a couple of those in this game that hadn't been featured in previous weeks. So uh, again, you, you talk about if USC is going to have an opportunity to really contend, the defense is going to have to continue to play at the level that we saw them play in this game. Um, under no circumstance did I ever get the sense that, that the Utes uh, were, were seizing control of this game and that momentum was truly on the side because I always felt like the defensive line had enough control of this game where, you know, um, it was going to be difficult for, for the Utes to, to march down the field consistently and put up points. Um, again, if you take away some of the mistakes that were made by the offense, this was a dominant performance by the USC Trojans. What do you think about Orlando's defense through, through three games? How, how, does it, how does it fit for USC? How are they kind of operating in it? And, and I guess your expectations for what they can do in it as they, again, get more comfortable and, and get more reps in it. I think that, I mean, when you think about it, USC is yet to play two consistent games with all of its starters. Um, Naote Ote um, was missing from this game and you know and just you know from a from a consistency standpoint this team is only going to be as successful I think as the success of its linebacking and is going when he plays and he is give them serviceable um, reps on the defensive side I think that this team has a great potential of being able to play with this base coverage and I mean base formation and and really uh, do some some exciting things. But it's when 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 teams go tempo on the Trojans. I haven't seen enough from Todd Orlando's defense to give me the sense that this is the team that is kind of built with endurance. Uh, they're built in spurts and waves and maybe rotating through, keeping fresh bodies in will be the key to their success. But when teams go up tempo and force the base defense to stay on the field, and when they get tired, you just don't get the sense that they're conditioning at the moment. It's one thing to go through uh, off-season conditioning, but it's another thing to be in game tempo, game speed. We haven't seen enough to, to, to know if this defense long-term is going to be better off than what Clancy Pendergast gave. But I can tell you now, the way that the secondary is playing at the moment gives you the impression that they're fundamentally coached up a lot better than they have been in years past. And for that, they have a, uh, um, they have a fighter's chance week in and week out, as long as when they go man coverage, and you can trust Chris Steele, congratulations for getting his first interception, and Elijah Griffin, who arguably may be the, the, the top corner in all of the Pac-12, um, if not one of the top in the country. You, you like your chances with those two lined up against anybody because of their size, athleticism, and range. They can cover guys at 5'9", all the way up to 6'7". We've seen it now. And we know that they can hold their own, their own. Um, I, I, I give uh, Todd Orlando's defense at the moment, I'll give it a B. 
I think that it has a lot more room for improvement. I think that uh, from a base standpoint, um, fundamentally of what it wants to do and how it's going to apply pressure, it makes sense for this personnel. And we're starting to see role players kind of step up and really feel comfortable within those roles. Um, but long-term, we need to see more consistency because when it's time for them to get off the field, I'd like to know that they can dial up a blitz or they can dial up a coverage to get off the field when necessary on third down. You know, the, the last thing before we kind of wrap up a little bit, I, I'm curious, again, through three games, and, and if you want to just talk Utah game, that, that's okay. But uh, at this point, give me something that, that is kind of struck you and it doesn't have to be you know positive or, or negative but just something on either side of the ball that has stood out to you that that maybe you know you you didn't expect or something that has uh kind of not you know not gone the way maybe you thought it would uh to this point in the season all right so i'll give you a good and a bad let me start with the bad okay um eric i sus i expected USC's running game, running attack, uh, to be a lot further along than it is at the moment, okay? Uh, I'm not seeing enough complexity in the running scheme or patience to develop the running game. Um, for, for, for me to feel confident in thinking that in a short yardage situation, that USC would not have to rely on a short passing play. I'd like to know that they can line up. And when you really need one to three yards, you can get those one to three yards without um, a running back having to have an outer body experience, having to elude defenders um, in the backfield. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen enough uh, creativity on the blocking schemes to give me that confidence to say that this is a complete team. Um, of course, I'm also a little surprised at the, the lack of um, progress that we're seeing out of Keaton Slovis. Um, I, you know, and again, maybe perhaps whatever is ailing him, I tend to think it might be an injury that he's not alluding to, or perhaps the rehab from the injury um, uh, that happened in the bowl game uh, against Iowa. Maybe there's some um, lingering effects to whatever, again, that, that injury was that could be altering his ability to feel comfortable in throwing with the, you know, with velocity. Um, but with that being said, just the maturation of, of Drake London, you know, and how he, they, they're using a lot, utilizing him as a hybrid tight end, I think gives this team a fighting chance. Defensively, role players like, and I, and I mentioned them before, Nick Figueroa and um, Raylan Goldford, just the way that they're stepping in and playing serviceable minutes, but making impactful plays gives you the sense that they're being coached up well, and they have a good understanding of what's being expected of them. Uh, of course, you you have you, you have your 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 key players that you go in game in and game out defensively. Uh, Tui Pelotu on the defensive line, and then, and then um, Jackson Drake Jackson coming off the edge. You know what you're going to expect from them. But overall, I think what surprises me most is is that. Um, Throughout three games, they're 3-0, and and they haven't scratched the surface of how good this team can be. And when you look at the stats, the stats are so misleading because they don't really tell the story for, that your eyeballs tell you, that this is a team that is very, very talented, 
that is underachieving uh, according to its own standards, and and yet is still three and zero when they could easily be to uh, one and two, because uh, I don't think for a second that they would have lost that Utah game. But overall, I, I would just like to see a team that that has so much experience returning, um, and in the same system at least offensively to be further along than it is. And because we're not seeing that, it's just really hard to tell if what we're seeing is reality or if it's the results of all of the disruptions from an off season that's been plagued by pandemics and the uncertainty of even if they were, if they were rather gonna have a season or not. Um, so you can't take those elements out, but everybody has the same built-in excuse and they come to play week in and week out. So it's fair for us to judge them based on what we're seeing in the fact that after three games, you think that they're trending in the right direction, but you're really not certain because they haven't gone up against a team that has gotten the butterflies out of, of, of that being their first game. Yeah, I mean, Colorado, again, is, is the fourth team in a row that USC is going to play that is basically coming off a bye. I mean, that, that didn't play the week before. It, it's the first team that's actually played a game this season. So at least USC can look at some Colorado film this week uh, for the first time in 2020. But again, Colorado did not play their game against Arizona State, got canceled. Uh, if you look even farther, USC has Washington State. The next week, Washington State's game against, uh, against Washington the Apple Cup is is canceled. So um, ju just all of that going into it and with, again, all of that sort of uncertainty, that this is kind of asking you to, to take a little bit of a guess, but where do you see a spot or, or even a couple spots uh, when you talk about haven't played up to that potential yet, yeah. wh where do you see maybe that coming from? Maybe, maybe where they can still grow or where mm -hmm. they've shown signs of – hey, th this might be happening. This, this might be starting to click a little bit as they go forward. Well, okay, I I'm always going to start on the offensive side because for me, that's the, the easiest side to, to really gauge progress. Defense is still a reactionary position, okay? But, but when you think about how well Drake um, London is playing and then Eric Cromenhope, you know, you consider those both to be uh, the two the two um, skill players that that feature that are featured as tight ends. I think very easily, if USC wants to feature a strong running power game, they can run what we call 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, and have a balanced set with the, the, the likes of um, Brew McCoy coming into his own and opposite of him is Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I think that you can really kind of condense the field and, and, and pack the um, interior part of the the uh, the box and give the running backs an opportunity from a dotted eye position okay in a bullet uh, or a pistol situation give them a running start and uh, and still be effective uh, with your timing and your rhythm i think you need to bring keaton slovis up to five yards from the line of scrimmage as opposed to seven and allow the running back that little staggered room to set up his blocking so I think just by playing around with different personnel within the um, air raid will give this team an added dimension and allow for the likes of Marquis Step when healthy and uh, um, Vavai Malapai to, to really be effective 
within this system as a power running back defensively. Um, I'd like to see them feature the nickel package a little bit more because I think the production that, that this team is getting out of number nine, Greg Johnson and Max Williams as the nickel uh, allows for them to put more speed on the football field, be able to cover well, but also get edge, press, edge rush pressure um, uh, in certain obvious passing situations. I think that that's been very effective for them. But the, for me, my unsung hero is the place kicker. Uh, this guy has a tremendous foot. I think his name is uh, Chase. Parker, Parker, Parker Lewis. Parker the, Lewis, uh, I'm true, sorry. true freshman Parker Lewis, yeah, went out and, and got him. And they've got three scholarship kickers uh, on the roster right now, and, and Parker Lewis grabbed that spot with Chase McGrath dealing with a, a little bit of a, an injury coming into the season. And you're right, bit, a big game for him. Uh, big game for him, yeah. Field. And like I said, um, but the confidence. You, you know, you can always tell when a team is uncertain of its place kickers because then, mm. you know, they take, they take certain um, um, liberties that they normally wouldn't take unless you know that you have a sound kicking game. And because USC is able to rely upon that kicking game, it allows for them now to play – you know, three downs, knowing that, um, that, that they don't have to be too aggressive when, when they get within range. And I'd say a, a decent range for him might be between 48 and 55 yards. I think that USC could probably feel comfortable with, you know, with um, expanding their, their, uh, their, scoring, um, their scoring range. But for, for lastly, I mean, when, when you think about the totality of the three games and what they're building off of, I think uh, this team is designed to build stars, and those stars will those stars will come as as the offense gets into a rhythm and in sync. But defensively, we're starting to see the emergence of stars. And for me, there's none bigger than I think the um, um, the defensive line. This is going to be a team that's going to be built around the strength of its defensive line. And right now we're, we're seeing guys kind of pop and flash at us where we're starting to recognize and remember their names. And that to me is the sign of a well-coached defensive line. They're playing well with their hands. They're winning those one-on-one -on -one battles. And that's going to give this team a fighting chance. There's still some areas that they need to shore up, uh, but that comes from the secondary feeding and playing off of the strength of the interior seven. Uh, you know, kind of when, when, when the, uh, an offense or a defensive line or a linebacker gets cracked, the secondary filling off the, um, the backside of that, uh, that crack and replacing. As they start to play well together, I do think that they can catch lightning in the bottom and benefit from not having to leave the confines of Los Angeles. We may see some brilliant football coming together, but the mere fact that this team is resilient and they have banked two victories that, that they stolen from the jaws of defeat will give this team the confidence of knowing that in, under any circumstance, when they go into a game situation, that they will not blink because they have the belief that they can come back from any circumstance as long as there's time on the clock. Yeah, uh, and, and when you talk about the defensive line, that's a line that lost, that, that does not have Jay Tufele, who, right. I mean, was clearly kind of considered the, the best guy uh, coming into this season, he just he made the decision to opt out, and the idea was that that would just you know not devastate the line, but leave a, a really big hole there. And this defensive line has responded, and I think a lot of credit goes to defensive line coach Vic Soto, who has come in and really kind of 
uh, lit a fire under these guys and, and has them playing well. And then you had Jake Lichtenstein. He, he opted out as well. So you're down two bodies even before the season starts. They didn't play against Utah uh, with Caleb Tremblay, who sat out for his second game as he deals with some stingers. And so you, you're down bodies and still got that performance from the defensive line. I think there's going to be a lot expected out of that. And I think that makes it tougher on opponents when they come into games thinking, hey, man, we've got our hands full with that defensive front. You, you talk about Utah the last couple of years. Washington is another team where it, it changes what you feel like you can do uh, as an offense when you know that you're going to have your hands front hands full with that defensive front. So we'll see sort of how Colorado reacts to that. The USC has Colorado on Saturday. It is a 1230 kick. Uh, Going to be an interesting one. Again, Colorado comes in at two and zero, but you know, you, you look at those two games and it's a, a six point win against UCLA, a three point mm-hmm. win against Stanford that they're not, you know, pulling them out the last second um, like USC did the first two weeks, but you know, it's a 2-0 Colorado team that I think has been better under new head coach Carl Durrell than people thought they were. I still think USC has plenty of, of momentum and, and talent coming into this game, certainly to, to look to move to 4-0 this season. Yeah, and, and again, with, with all of the uncertainty and the inconsistencies, just playing in the confines of the Coliseum – and really just kind of getting back to your your rhythm of how you prepare for games, this team will benefit from. So, again, I think that for me, I saw progress in what we saw against Utah and going against Colorado. Again, I'm curious to go back and watch more film on them to see what USC may, may try to exploit. But at the end of the day, Colorado still has to get over the nostalgia of playing in the Coliseum albeit it's an empty Coliseum, but there's still the nostalgia of walking through those halls and they have to overcome that. So it's important for USC to get off to a fast start and leave no doubt and and force Colorado to have to overcome their own demons uh, and not allow them to linger around. So again, I expect that they should handle business um, coming out of this game, but, but there is some, there's still a lot of football left for, for this offense to be able to kind of clean up. And, and so because of that, you love the challenge that's presented before them. Yeah, it feels like USC's sort of used their, their two get-out-of-jail-free cards this year. And you mentioned Leave No Doubt. That's going to be big because they are, you mentioned earlier, they are winning games and sort of tiptoeing up those rankings. And when you look at potentially uh, an Oregon game in that conference championship, you, you want to be ranked ahead of them. I mean, if, right. if it's going to be a home field advantage for, you know, the higher ranked team um, and, and both teams are undefeated, it's going to be big for USC to, to start putting on a show a little bit. And I think that you got to maybe a taste of it against Utah, right. but you really have to, you, you got to start opening up a can on, on some of the <laughs> yeah. teams. But, but I, know, I, 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 I want to say one last thing, Eric, okay? Colorado over the last two campaigns against UCLA and Stanford, okay, have really come out of the gates in the second half on fire. And so that's something that USC has to pay attention to, how well they finished the quarter, uh, coming out of the second quarter, going into halftime, and can they slow down Colorado 
in their halftime adjustments. That's where all their damage seems to be done. You know, putting 14 points up against Stanford um, and then 21 points right before halftime against UCLA. So, so those are two areas that, again, it's, it's only two game vacuum, but, but that's not an area that USC is, you know, has been strong at. They've been strong starting the game and then finishing but the middle two quarters are something critical if, if they're going to have success and, and really like put Colorado away early. Yeah, it'll be nice to see USC back at home and after a week where, again, we mentioned this Utah game, USC looks a, a little more USC than they did against Arizona State and, and Arizona. So that's our look at, at USC uh, going out to Salt Lake City and winning out there for the first time since 2012, beating Utah 33 to 17 for Dale Rideau. This is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday morning cornerback.